0: up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com around the world attacks on children continue as warring parties flout one of the most basic rules of war which is the protection of children the protracted nature of conflicts today is affecting the future of entire generations of children Without access to education, a generation of children living in conflict areas will grow up without the skills they need to contribute to their countries and economies, increasing the already desperate situation for millions of children and their families on the continent. Education can be a lifesaver. When children are out of school, they are easy targets of abuse, exploitation, and even recruitment by armed forces and groups. Schools should provide a safe space where children can be protected from threats and crises. It is also a critical step to breaking the cycle, the vicious cycle of crisis and reducing the likelihood of possible future conflicts. The activities of the Boko Haram in Nigeria have led to the death of over 600 teachers, destruction of about 900 schools, and also forced shutdown of about 1,500 schools. As the activity of the insurgency constantly threatens the safety of both the lives of students, pupils, and teachers, according to the United Nations, a child's right to education cannot be safeguarded in conflict zones without education itself being protected. This episode examines the spate of violence that affects education in the northern region of Nigeria and seeks to answer some questions on how to address them. If this spate of attack on education continues, what future then exists for the next generation? To discuss this, we have a quality education advocate who is engaged in civic engagement and social inclusion. Currently, the acting secretary, Coalition of Media and Information Literacy in Nigeria, David Osare. Welcome, David. How are you doing? Uh,
1: hi, Anthony. I'm doing fine. Thank you.
0: Also, our uh, second guest has technical expertise in human rights-based approach to development, gender, climate, food justice, and real personal and community experience. He also has good knowledge and understanding of humanitarian and development issues and currently works with Action Aid Nigeria as the humanitarian and resilience manager. David Haber, how are you doing?
2: Thank you very much, Anthony. It's good to be here.
0: Now, let's start on the note of clarification because we've had some people who've brought up this issue before. David Haber, could education be blamed for the insurgency in northern Nigeria in any way? You know, maybe maybe insufficient education, uh, not properly funded education, too much education too, anyway?
2: The issue of education is very timely. And I, I'd like to say that your introduction was very on point, capturing most of the issues that we have to deal with the impact of lack of, or lack of education poor investment and in education and all of those. It was very, very detailed. And just to answer your question, yes, you see, when you have a population that is not educated, uneducated, that is poor, that is hungry, then you have a time bomb on your hands. And that is what we are grappling with today. I can assure you that the challenges of insecurity across the country is not just sailing on the part of government and community, but it is primarily linked to the lack of education. Education empowers the mind. Education trains you to make informed decisions, to think, to, to engage, to contribute to society. If you are not able to do this because you are not educated, and at the same time you are poor, you are hungry, and you are in need, the instincts of survival kicks in and then you can do anything. So you have people who have not known any civil authority, have not benefited from any civil authority or any government, are poor, very poor, due to the actions or inactions of people who have a right to them, and they are uneducated. They are willing tools in the hands of manipulators. They are available hands in the hands of recruiters who want to use them for selfish or personal gain. So yes. Edu- the crisis in the northeast or in Nigeria is a crisis of development, and education is chief.
0: Hmm, interesting. Although, if we want to get into the issue of whether you know, these children and their families have benefited from any form of governance at all, you know, we'll be getting into the political issue. I wouldn't want to do that this morning. But David Osare, do, do you agree with the stance of David Haber?
1: Haber said um, most of the things I would like to say, and I would like to also add that. Education is the primary catalyst for most of the insecurity we say to me, North, because like Harvard said, when you have people who are uneducated, this goes beyond schooling because their capacity and the role which they play in the society is not yet defined through education. And you have these people who are there and poor and then they are easily manipulated by ill political actors. And if you don't mind, I will take us down memory lane. So sometime back in the early nineties and moving forward. You know, our leaders then knew, the politicians, the fiscal elites knew that we had to educate the North. They knew there was a deficit between education standards in Northern Nigeria and in the Southern Nigeria. Not just them, the United Nations, the National Development Partners, they all put in frank efforts by pumping money, aid, different approach to educate the North and bring them up to speed. However, it is hard to say that a lot of... Um, some political actors with, who wish to always utilize this population, this set of uneducated people in exacting political influence have ensured that most of these projects, we can also quote the Alamajiri program, the universal basic education program, and many other projects by like UNICEF, UNESCO, and many who have always tried to avoid what we are facing today or adopt what we are facing today by educating the North but um, so many actors have somehow, also corruption, have somehow influenced it and given room for these catalyst to be in place and, in fact, to be stronger in what we face today in as insecurity in
0: the north. In wow! Now, thank you very much. If this has always been the case for you know about two decades now, why is the blame put on Boko Haram and what is the impact of the Boko Haram insurgency on the educational development of the northern Nigeria?
1: Okay. What I think is this. Boko Haram came and wrote on already the deficiencies that already existed, which was this gap in education. And during the Jonathan's time, about 15 billion Naira was spent on the Alamajiri program, which is now known as the Tangaya program, whereby they were to mop out these children that were on the streets begging and relying on informal Islamic education, but usually they are forced to go beg and come back and then Sooner or later, they were being indoctrinated by some clerics. So the project was started then to harness these people. But unfortunately, Boko Haram also came at a fast-moving pace at the same time. And that locked on the rate of insurgency we are seeing today in the country.
0: Hmm. David Haber, how badly has the Boko Haram insurgency in the northern part of Nigeria affected or impacted the educational development? Because you you have some on-ground experience.
2: Before I talk about the violent extremism, extremist activities in the Northeast and how much imparted education, i just like to say that the issues of education, lack of it, poor quality of it, is not only a northern issue. Of course, you have bulk of the numbers in the north. You have bulk of the numbers of out-of-school children in the north. But it is a Nigerian problem. So today you have issues of bandits in Kwara, in Edo and all parts of the country. It's not a northern problem, it is a Nigerian problem. And we need to look at it as such. Because if you go to the park in Maiduguri today, I can assure you that there are vehicles that are leaving Maiduguri to Lagos. So we are a very move- a fast moving population and we cannot uh, 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 keep the narrative of the education problem of the north. It is a Nigerian problem. But back to your question. Um, yes. There has been a lot of drawback, okay, because, you know, lots of investments were made by previous um, uh, international organizations, government, uh, as an example of the investment that was made by the Good Luck administration in catering for the children who are majority children in using the Sanghaia model. But there has been a huge drawback because I speak to you many years and inaccessible. There are children who, at the time that the insurgency started, they were in primary school, for instance. Some of them have not had the opportunity to go back to school, so they have lost out. That is almost like losing an entire generation of people. Now, there are people who were born during the time of the crisis where classes, their classrooms that in their communities were destroyed. They had to move and live in IDP camps. Some of them have never seen the full world of the classroom. So that is a huge drawback on the gains that have been made for previous years, because pre the insurgency, there were lots of advocacies for the girl child, and I can dare say that the, the north was picking up. We were seeing increased numbers. But all of that has now been eroded with the insurgency. So a lot of schools have been destroyed, teachers have been killed. Been Not many teachers want to go back and risk their lives in unsafe terrains. So even when you have a population in, say, garrison towns like Kikwa and Mungunu, it is unlikely for you to have qualified teachers. So teachers were scared. They would not put their lives on the line to provide education. Even when you want to pay them, you are unwilling to go to those locations. So you have, for instance, in Mongono, where you have about over 190,000 IDPs, people who have been displaced from network communities of Burma, Roskawa, um Marti, and are now in the garrison town of Mongono, for instance. Many of them are, cannot go to school. You don't have access to education. So the gains that were made in investment in building classrooms in training teachers and providing educational materials and also trying to provide the linkage for them to go up to higher education, all of that has been eroded with with the crisis. These are the challenges that we're facing. Thank you.
0: Okay. Just like you said, it's a a Nigerian problem and not just a Nigerian problem, because this is also happening across West and Central Africa. And in fact, across the continent, insecurities on the continent have made a lot of children for the past one, two years. That's just the most recent ones. Um, The longer ones have been around for a decade and this is really an issue. But in about a decade, let's put this to um, some perspective. Africa based on projections in 2030, will house a large quantity of the global labor force. With more children across the continent being placed in crisis situations and losing out on education, what does the future hold for such a labor force?
2: If I were to respond to that, and then my co-panelists can also make some additions to that, the issue is that, yes, we'd have a, a significant number of people who are skilled. Because, of course, the advent of the internet has given more people opportunity to access information, to get an education online, to train themselves, to school via correspondence, and all of those things. And people are now picking up skills. But on the flip side is the fact that the number of children or young persons who are going uneducated will dwarf the number of these young people who have skills. So while we'll have to be able to provide a good amount of labor force to the world, we are going to be faced with the challenge of insecurity. We are going to be faced with the, the challenge of instability in our communities. That would impact on the skills and the population and the, the labor that we are able to export. And so, once that is impacted, it will not be able to reap the full potential or the full benefit that comes from having such a vast uh, amount of people who are well skilled. And it's happening. You see, there are already restrictions on Nigerians who can work in, in, in Dubai. Countries are now taking stands against us. Unfortunately, we are losing out. And let's not think that we are the only country. There are other countries, there are other continents in the world who also have population. China, India, they also have population. And if we do not take hold of the, the opportunity that this presents for us and address our in- in-house issues, we we'll would lose out in the long term to these opportunities that are coming. Thank you.
0: David Osage. do you want to also address this? Sure,
1: yes. Yeah. I'll start with our education crisis is a national problem and West Africa and Africa problem as rightly mentioned, though more evident in one area than the other. And that's why I will bring focus to the word quality, quality education, because in some cases, people who on paper are quite educated, but in reality, I would say their role in the society and their actions in society have not proven that. So coming to where we stand and how the effect of of these um, challenges with education I say one would have even me suggested, oh, of course, there yeah, are online learning platforms coming up where people could learn remotely. But we have a lot of poor population who do not even have access to an internet in a good phone. We have people who are struggling to live on um, the $1 per day. So these people will never or likely not have access to uh, any form of self-education or determination. And that is really going to affect the labour force, the economic and, and economic and political climate in Nigeria, because um, we're having a set of uh, people who do not have the capacity to contribute positively to the development and sustainability of peace and science community. And so this eventually leaves us in a very very precarious position whereby. We are forced to either take steps or take flight because the general climate, the general actions we've been seeing over the past few years when many Nigerians are giving up on the country and say, oh, nothing can be done here anymore because there's no future looking bright. But I feel if there's a attitudinal change from the government and also international partners who have to consider that much can be done in the country, then you could look at a more deliberate attitudes towards tackling the issue of poor education or lack of education in the community, in the country.
0: Now, are we going going about this the right way? Because some people actually do not have any kind of education for now. And, you know, we, we want to talk about getting them to move to quality education. How do we get these children to not just get educated, but to get quality education?
1: To get quality education now, we have to, for these people, because they already be, it's already examined it's already a deficit. So, in my opinion, one of the ways we could go about it is create incentives. Create incentives. It's just that certain programs were dropped to the new administration, which will have continued, whereby these people have feeding programs, they have free uniform, free tuition. In fact, there's a project ongoing to the EU, there's that project whereby even the parents get. Commission. they get incentives, they get money, they are paid money for allowing their children to go for classes. And this helps me, the whereby these children who are supposed to be hawking to generate income now, the parents get a little money, support from 5000 to 10000 you know, which just for allowing their child for a kind of education class or going to a school, special prepared school for these children. So I think these are the kind of models we should be seeing it as a, a very aggressive move to cause this issue of lack of education as insecurity.
0: Okay, thank you. David Haber. what do you think about this? Education before security or security before education, because governments have the primary responsibility to provide protection and to ensure inclusive and equitable quality education at all levels and to all learners, especially for those in vulnerable um, situations. Also, also, in addition, what innovative ways can be used to provide education to these children in vulnerable crisis situations, if at all, you know, we we cannot achieve protection um, for the schools, or we cannot achieve security?
2: Just before I get into that, permit me to touch on the issue of quality.
0: You see, our schools today,
2: even the ones that are functional, have become centres of dissolution, frustration, and anger. Why? The schools have lost touch. So I can assure you that if you go to some secondary schools in Nigeria, if not majority of them, they are still being taught pinhole camera. They are still being taught technologies that have the world has gone far behind. So young people go to school, they come out uninspired, they come out unmotivated. And let me tell you the other thing: before, when you see a youth copper, if you are in secondary school, you will be motivated. Today, nobody is being motivated seeing a youth copper. Why? The life of a graduate is not inspiring. No, so we cannot deal with the quality of education without looking at those who have gone to school. If people who have gone to school cannot make social progress in their life, cannot become better, cannot serve as models to people who are not educated, then we have a big problem. No matter the issue of quality, or the issue of uh, lack of it thereof. Because, you know, some people can push themselves. Some people can, can drive themselves. They can oh, I want this, I will do this, I will, I will, I will persevere. But if they look at, ahead of them and they see their neighbor who went to school and is begging, he's now addicted to drugs, they will not be motivated to go to school. So I just wanted to drop that in for people, uh, listeners, also to also ponder upon. But to talk about the issue of, of providing security, you see, this is the right. It's not something that we are begging or have to cajole or lobby. Yes, we use all of those terms because, you know, there's low part school. But it is a right. Children deserve and have a right to education, safe education. So providing security is not rocket science. Our government needs to get up and act. If they need support, they should say where they need support. They should mobilize. You see, uh, let's just take the example of Corona. Corona came out. Within one year, we had the vaccine. That is because there was interest. It was killing the rich. Not this attitude of, oh, because my children are schooling in Harvard, I don't care. If the government has interest, the government will secure our schools. It is not angels. In climate, Rwanda faced the kind of problem that we're facing today. They got out of it. They are better. Why can't we? So there are models to learn from. We need the government and all stakeholders, really ensure that they have adequate political will, proper investment in the right channels and in the right places to ensure that one, schools are protected, and two, that when people go to those schools, they have quality. The excuse of not having protection for schools is not it's not an excuse that we should we should we should we should allow in the twenty first century. It's not an excuse that I am willing to take and it is an excuse that Nigerians should not be willing to take. The truth remains that Government can protect our schools. They have the capacity. If they lack it, they should build it. They own our common resource, so they should do it.
0: Thank you. Wow, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so this let's let, let this act as a uh, closing uh, statement. Uh, David Osage, what's your yeah. closing statement, like the way forward?
1: Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you very much, Abba. I like how you point out a lot about what needs to be done. Well, with the issue of insecurity, I feel... Like we've agreed on the conversation so far that education happens to be one of the fundamental, um, source of the problem, cause of the problem. And the fact that they have to, first of all, they're quite tackling the ending issues which have been created from that problem, which is insecurity. They have to have a two pronged approach whereby they are working on insecurity and at the same time working on education because the impact from education most times is seen over the years. Um, in fact, the impact of insecurity on education at the moment, we'll be seeing this even as at 2030. We'll still be having more worse effects than what we are seeing now uh, by that time if it's not properly handled. And also, I feel the government needs to be more deliberate and we have to actually be sincere in the issue of education, not hoping that they are going to utilize um the current issues of in, in of, uh, of lack of education and uh, breeding um, illiterates and uh, people who do not have the who do not contribute possibly to the society and keeping them for uh, election time where they are used based on the uh, gullible understandings of things. You see um, also I feel the government also has to take a look at the interventions that are coming. Um, earlier I made mention of Delta Sorry, I said EU it's actually a World Bank project and nine hundred and fifty one million dollars. Was appropriated for this project in the country, which is also which one of, of which one of the goal is to see that the private sector is being bolstered by effective engagement, which has been developed through capacity building by education. So, um, in my closing remarks, I feel they need to the government needs to be serious about it and honest because that is very much lacking in this present administration as far as education and security. So thank you.
0: Thanks a whole lot for the time, for the insight shared today. We've been speaking to a quality education advocate who is engaged in civic and social inclusion and currently is the Acting Secretary Coalition of the Media and Information Literacy in Nigeria, David Osagai. Thank you very much, David Osagai, for the time and for the insight. Thank you, absolutely. Thank you. Also, uh, the second guest uh, has technical expertise in human rights-based approach to development and currently works with ActionAid Nigeria as the humanitarian and resilience manager. David Habba. thank you for the time and for the insight today.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.